Welcome to the Guide to Movies podcast with Joe and Sean. This is a special episode that we have for you this fantastic Christmas day. Sean, um, how will you be celebrating Christmas this year? I will be celebrating by listening to this podcast while I poop upstairs hiding from the family. Um, no, I have, I, have, I have lovely family that I'll be opening presents with, uh, meeting them on both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And I am very much, uh, you know, very, very excited for the holiday. At what point can I expect the text message that you're watching Soul, Wonder Woman, <laughs> all the releases that day? The amount of stress I have over that. Because, like the, there are 10 movies that I desperately want to see coming out on Christmas. I mean, if it was a regular Friday, it would be stressful. But the fact that, you know, and also I think Sam wants to see all of these movies as well. So it's one of those things where I can't just like stay up all night and like, you know, pretty much just watch them throughout the entire uh, you know morning. But we, we will get through it. We will see them all. We have a long Christmas break. <laughs> we will make it through. I, I'm pulling for you here. We will persevere. <laughs> Well, today we thought it would be a fun, uh, you know, diversion from what we usually do talking about all the movie news uh, and answer some questions that we had submitted from a lot of our different friends and listeners uh, that, you know, I think run the run the gamut here in terms of seriousness and interest. Um, we have one asking about a thong. Um, we also have, uh, you know, favorite Christmas movie and stuff like that. So we'll dive into that. Um I've been stressing about these answers. I don't know if you have as well. I've been, yeah, there's, there's, I have multiple answers for every question. So I'll have to make a game time decision and pick. <laughs> All right. Well, here's your first game time decision. We're going to start off with the first question from Ziana, the basic cinephile. What movie do you watch when you have, when you're having a bad day and you want to change your mood? First of all, I just want to say Ziana just gave us a question that is very mature, well-rounded, very good. And, you know, I just, I'm very proud of her for giving a question that isn't, you know, like, you know, inappropriate or disgusting in any way. So very well, basic cinephile. Um, great job. Anyway, um, a movie that, uh, you know, that I need to change my mood when I'm feeling in a bad mood. It has been Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And that has been the case since uh, college. Um it's a uh, long Western. Um, you know, there's a song that says raindrops falling on my head. That don't mean my eyes will be turned to red. That could be maybe why I was happy. Or I just think I love that movie so much that it takes me out of the, you know, whatever crappy world I was in right then and there. Like some girl wasn't texting me back. And I would just be transported into this really cool Western. And I just think that was just something that was totally immersive, totally wonderful. And even though, you know, the ending is a little bit sad, the entire thing is extremely pleasant that's a good choice i i wasn't thinking along those lines uh, in terms of an older movie like that um mine is more recent and this is going to be no surprise to you mine is the greatest showman um and <laughs> i i tend to lean towards musicals i don't know why but i'm always uh, you know i was having this conversation with friends the other day because the problem came out and of course i've watched it like seventeen thousand times and i I just enjoy them because I think they're so uplifting. Like they're they're just feel good movies, and you need that every once in a while. But The Greatest Showman was one that I saw in theaters four times when it came out, um, and I had a um, copy of it that wasn't sanctioned. Um, but I would um, oddly like when I was living in Philadelphia, and I would go out with friends on a Friday or Saturday night, and I, I would come back after some drinks, and at like two a.m. in the morning, I'd be watching The Greatest Showman. <laughs> that was my go-to movie. 
Um, may or may not have been dancing to it as well. But uh, I no, The Greatest Showman is just a feel-good movie. I really enjoy the music. Um, I love the messages. So that is uh, somewhere – that's a film that I lean on. That is one where I sometimes look up uh, – what I look up for The Greatest Showman is the YouTube video of um, the uh, – well, I'm just going to – the bearded lady audition, not auditioning, but like first singing. Yeah, that is such a cool – oh, my God. What a cool moment. Like that. that is the one that gets me going. So do you know the story uh, that, behind that scene? Behind that? Uh, behind that video? Not totally. Help me out with that. That was when they were uh, performing the songs to get the green light from the studio. And they had brought in some Broadway actors, Keala Settle being one of them. Um, Keala Settle was in the show Waitress as well as others on Broadway. But that song was written on the plane from L.A. to New York or vice versa, whatever, Um, which I wish that I had talents enough to write a song on a plane that then becomes an (laughs) anthem of a movie and gets nominated for awards. Like, holy shit. But um, she was actually like very visibly touched uh, by that song. And you see it in that you see Hugh Jackman sitting there going, Oh shit. Like we got her. Uh, this is great. And she wasn't even supposed to, she wasn't going to play the role. And then after that, he said like, you just booked your first film or something. Um, now, I, that, now that video is even more special. That, Cause that, that video was already pretty emotional. Like yeah. now that's just even better. It like, gets me great. every time. It gets me every time. <laughs> so, Let's take a look at our next question. Um, this is uh, from another uh, friend of ours, uh, Unlimited Reviews. Um, and she has been very much in the Christmas spirit throughout all of December, doing a lot of great Christmas movie reviews. So definitely check those out. Um, and her uh, big uh, question is, is there a Christmas movie that you watch every year on Christmas Day or around it? So like Christmas Eve or something like that. All right. So here's – I have three answers to this. One <laughs> is on Christmas Eve – my father makes us watch a Christmas story because TBS and every other channel that's like a sister channel to it, like TNT and stuff play a Christmas story. So we'll watch it over and over again. I'm sick of that movie. I'm so tired of it. Um, but we'll still watch it. Christmas day. If we can find Christmas vacation, national lampoons, we'll watch that. Cause that's just a hilarious yeah. movie. That may be one of my favorites. I was giving, um, you know, another account shit earlier because they released like their top, five movies each um, of the few of them that are on this podcast. And only one of them had national lampoons. Uh, this is Christmas movies, national lampoons, Christmas vacation in there. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Um, but elf has quickly become one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, and I always, this is the joke I always make from it or recall, but when someone's trying to hail the cab and he walks over and he's like, hi, <laughs> I don't know why, but I think that's the funniest thing in the world. Oh man. How about you? Oh boy. With me, um, it gets tricky because Christmas day, we don't watch movies. We're busy doing like eight other things. We probably have the, uh, you know, good old TNT, uh, Christmas story, like just like on mute. Uh, like in the background, um, but we uh, we just don't seem to have the time. It used to be that we got a movie as a gift, um, and so we would watch that movie on Christmas night, no matter what it was. It was not a Christmas movie ever. It was Men in Black. It was the Perfect Storm. It was it was always something like that was completely the furthest possible thing from a Christmas movie. But we would watch that at night. That would be our big move. Christmas Eve is the movie time, and it's either It's a Wonderful Life or White Christmas. And it fluctuates, you know, year past year. So 
I would argue that probably this year, well, I just watched It's a Wonderful Life, so I'll probably be banking for uh, White Christmas. And uh, but you know, either one is a uh, keeps the uh, you know the like the little fire there. Everyone's snuggled up six feet apart, and it's just going to be like a lovely little time uh, just watching. Because Christmas Eve is more important in my house than Christmas Day. Christmas Day is like, you know, hey, cool, gifts, got it, go, go, food, let's go, out now. Okay. <laughs> but Christmas Eve is us just chilling, drinking, and having a bunch – and having seven fishes because I am Italian. Not a lot of Italian, but a decent amount of Italian. Hey, so those that two. sounds fun. I mean, that's such a great um... – uh what's the word i'm looking for tradition um such yeah. a great tradition to do seven fishes and such we've you know we're not italian but we've talked about like hey we should do that here <laughs> um you know i i think with these answers to all the questions today we're gonna see that you are always dipping back into like older classic films and i'm gonna be like the more modern but whatever um that might happen here with which director had the best directorial debut of all time uh and this is from our friend kevin frequent podcast guest Sean, go ahead. You, oh you really had to say that, and it's almost like you know what my answer is going to be. <laughs> I, I think I do. <laughs> like that it's just going to be something. So um, I will uh, say this one. Um, I, you know what? This one seems like it's unfair, and it's Orson Welles for Citizen Kane. And that just seems like that should be taken out because that should be everyone's answer. Um, and so, you know, I, you know, that, that I consider that overarching, I consider that larger and I'm going to go with one other one that's a little bit more unsuspecting. So I'm giving two answers. Yes. But one of them I'm saying doesn't really count because it's just, oh, silly. um, and that's, um, that's Robert Eggers, uh, for the Vavitch. I knew you were going to say that one. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> you know, you know, that's my jam. You know, Robert Eggers. Is I knew jam. that was coming. It's just that when he decided to be a debut director, and granted it's A24, and they let you do whatever you want, but um, he decides to go with a colonial horror movie where they're talking in actual, genuine colonial speak, and you can't understand a damn thing they're saying. And I just love, like, you know, just the balls on him. And this movie also doesn't really... The, the resolution is sort of about the family and about them being torn apart. It's not actually about the devil. Like, I mean, it kind of is, maybe, but... <laughs> it is definitely one of the it is one of the more fascinating. But I think like, you know, these performers had to like oh god, I can't even imagine how difficult this task was for them because they had to be authentic while speaking basically a different language. Like and it was just the 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 most troubling thing and everything in it is authentic. Everything in it is like, you know, from head to toe. Granted they were in a, like their own like exiled village so they didn't have to go like fairly authentic but everything in it is purely great and you know to have that as the debut and then right after that the lighthouse and then he's coming up with a viking movie let's go eggers let's bring him on <laughs> let's bring him on yeah you know what i agree with you i think that they are two good choices i lean on again a more recent one but ryan coogler uh with fruitvale station um oh, that's a good one yeah I, I just i really love him as a director i think he has a really good thing going with michael b jordan uh and that's going to be one of those tag teams that we see for quite a while we've seen it with creed we've seen it with fruitvale station um we've even seen it in black panther i mean he was uh, you know the bad guy in black panther but uh you know chadwick boseman the late chadwick boseman was i think directed really well in that film and i think that film worked for you know because of ryan coogler's direction and handling a you know black led comic superhero film that means so much uh and was so monumental in the fact that it was the first one we were getting on film um i, I just really enjoyed it and i really enjoy him i think 
He did a great job with Creed. I don't know about some of the other choices that are coming up with um, uh, Space Jam and New Legacy. Uh, yeah. Don't care. Um, but we're also getting Judah, Judas and the Black Messiah from him. Um, he was the producer. He was a producer, oh, producer on okay. it. Um, which, hey, yeah, I mean, Daniel Kaluuya is in that, and Daniel Kaluuya was in Black Panther with him as well. Black Panther, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm really excited to see where he goes. He's one of those names that when I see that he's attached to a film, I automatically want to go see it. Um, and I'm excited to see kind of where he goes in the future. I think he can tackle some really serious topics and uh, do it with grace and doing it, do it in a way where it doesn't lose its message in an overbloated film that sometimes seems a little too preachy. We've talked about that, like preachy films in the past. Yeah. No, Coogler managed to like do something where it's like, you could do Fruitvale Station and Black Panther. That's, that's nuts. Like yeah, that's an that's- indie film with an intimate portrait. And then, you know, just the most important comic book movie of this generation. <laughs> like That's actually a really good point. Cause how many indie filmmakers do we see that get those budgets uh, on, you know, larger films and larger tent poles and just absolutely flop. Yeah. And he's doing Black Panther 2 as well. So um, I'm excited. I really like that he's doing that. I thought he would, yeah, I thought he would do the same thing as Creed 2 and hand it off. Um, so, this next question, as I uh, hand it off to me asking this next question, I can't do segues. Um, what is your favorite movie franchise of all time that has at least four films, none of which are spin offs? That's just me. Because that, that is a part of it. This is Mark from the Chump Cast, by the way. But, like, you know, favorite movie franchise um, and uh, at least four films, none of which are spin offs. So I was really pissed off when I first saw this question because, of course, there has to be like qualifications to what we can choose. <laughs> um, but the one that comes to mind right off the bat, uh, it, it's definitely this one the Born, uh, the Born uh, series. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Born Identity, Born Supremacy, Born Ultimatum. We got Jason Bourne after that. Uh, and then the Born Legacy. That's I guess that's a spinoff, but we have four films that are, you know, ex- that are Jason Bourne films. Um the fourth one isn't necessarily the greatest, uh, but the first three is just such a tight trilogy. And they get better and better. Matt Damon, I don't think, has ever been better in a film. Um I just I, I just love those movies. How about you? Yeah, I mean, coming from the trilogy, those are great. And I'm going to go with uh, Star Wars. Um, and it's lame. <laughs> it's easy. But, uh, you know, the, the original trilogy is uh, truly sacred. What I love about, you know, all three trilogies of Star Wars is that there's something good in all of them. I look at the original. They're obviously amazing. There's not nothing. Just great stuff all around. Um, I look at the prequels. Those are the roughest ones. Those, you know, can have the ability to not be great at times. But there is some really cool stuff in there about the saga and about how they're like saga. I said that weird um, about the saga and how they're sort of laying the bricks for it, which I really sort of enjoyed. Um, and then there's the uh, the sequel uh, trilogy, which is getting flack now, especially for uh, Rise of Skywalker, which was tough. But even then, it was something where they brought you know Star Wars back and they did different things with each movie, which was a bit of a problem. But those were interesting things that they did each time. Except for Rise of Skywalker, that's the only tough one. Yeah. Oh God, it's so tough getting into the Star Wars conversation because, mm-hmm. of course, the original trilogy, meaning you know, A New Hope, on they're great films. Um, they're oh, they're going to go down in history as some of the best films just because of what they did for the sci-fi genre and you know, building the epic uh, franchise that we've come to love. 
the the prequels are so interesting because if you're someone who was raised on the prequels, like they came out when they're the first Star Wars movies that you saw, right? Then you love them. A lot of people love those movies. Uh, and Revenge of the Sith is actually a really solid movie, I think. Uh, but the other two are questionable in my eyes. You're exactly right with the third, uh, the the third series of films, um, starting with Force Awakens. If we had a through line that wasn't so jumbled, then I think we would have been in better shape. Um, and that was one of the main problems is uh, what Ryan Johnson said. He said, nobody told me what to do, so I just wrote a movie and I did what I wanted. And then, then people lost their minds. And, I, and that, that was my problem. favorite one. And that's my favorite I one like of all. That one too. Yeah, I think I think it was like they needed like a Kevin Feige um, to say like you know, hey, you can do your own artistic thing, but you have to end here and make sure these three things happen. <laughs> like, and then you know you're fine. And I, I don't think uh, Kathleen Kennedy had that same plan. Um, if that was if if she was in charge at that time, um, it, or she was even in that role, or I, I I honestly don't know what was going on there at that time, but it did seem like it was just not really like, then that was the thing. Cause you know, you kill the main villain and that's going to be an issue for, you know, some people. Right. I thought it was kind of cool. Like I, I, I still, yeah, I'll say it. I liked last Jedi. It's, it's, it's a tough one. I have to argue with friends a lot. <laughs> I think but, Duel, um, of Fates, Duel of the Fates is better. Cause it had some great performances. What uh, wasn't it? Right. Maybe we'll, uh, I'll throw that. I'll try to clip that and throw it up on Instagram. You're C3PO. <laughs> Um, you know, related, but unrelated, um, my whole, one of my issues with the final three films there were, was how they handled Snoke, because I felt like Snoke was kind of just there until he wasn't. And we never got a solid explanation. Um, just that, you know, Palpatine was pulling the strings behind, uh, behind the scenes, but I was reading something, I think it was on screen rant. It was how the Mandalorian season two and Moff Gideon are setting up the founding of the first order um, because they mentioned like a new era or whatever. And then I think someone even went so far as to theorize that the blood that they're taking from Grogu and the clones that they're working on and whatever could lead to Snoke's creation, which I'm like, that would be, I would love if they do that, but it just sucks that, you know, Dave Filoni and John Favreau have to come in and like pick up the pieces to make things make sense again. They also don't like to just get involved. They, they, they don't like to get involved in the trilogy. Like they'll have like, you know, <clears throat> a character show up at the end um, and, you know, they'll have they'll run into characters like from Clone Wars and stuff, but they don't want to really start to affect certain things. And maybe they'll grow to start to affect certain things, but they don't like to get it. I don't think they want to get their mitts involved in that sequel trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. I think you're exactly right. Um, all right, so another deep question from our friend Sean at Movie Verb. Uh, this is this one kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop. But what do you look for in a good screenplay, and what film, in your opinion, had the best? I forgot to read the part that said what film, in your opinion. Um, but I can read the <laughs> where you know what do I look for in a good screenplay? It used to be good dialogue. Like I wouldn't care what's happening. I wouldn't care what's going on. Just give me good dialogue. That was like me in college. Like you know, give me a quote to put on the wall, bro. Because uh, my walls in college were just covered in movie quotes, and <laughs> I thought that would look cool. But instead, I looked like a crazy person. <laughs> so uh, it, it didn't look great. It looked like a beautiful mind. But um, I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I used to like the dialogue thing. I used to think that's all that matters. That's what a script is. And then I realized, no, 
It's about a character and it's about the journey that character goes on internal or external. And that was like the biggest moment of me is like, what does that person go on? Um, and then a movie that does that the best for me. Um, oh man. I mean, like that's going to be tough now that I didn't Sorry, prepare no. myself for that by not reading that question. Um, Cause see now I think one of my favorite screenplays of all time completely negates what I just said. And that is that one of my favorite screenplays of all time is network. It's so good. It doesn't really have that main character that goes on the journey. I think that, you know, like, you know, Oh God, here, pretentious alert. Get ready. Pretentious alert. This is going to be great. I think the main character is the media oh, and God. the media begins to grow. Throughout. But I do think it's sort of this cultural shift we see as it gets worse. I mean, William Holden is the out of work, like, you know, the older executive, the dinosaur they're trying to get rid of. Faye Dunaway is the new blood they're trying to bring in. Peter Finch is just freaking psycho the whole time. <laughs> it's not like an essential character at all. Just kind of like he's more of an object. And so, like they have these realizations. And so I think that the journey the characters go on are these realizations of themselves and what they have created and what, you know, they are going to be like one of them ruined their lives. The other one is basically dead inside at this point. And, you know, the, like there's William Holden is just reflecting on that. Oh my God. I love that movie so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I'm trying to remember when the last time I saw that movie was because I'm trying to like actually say something that's pretty, uh, you know, solid, but, um, and contributing, but I can't. Um, <laughs> so I approach this in two different ways there. I have two different types of scripts that I like. One is I love a good twist. I know that they're very gimmicky and I know they become mm -hmm. the thing, but when you don't see it coming, when you get a twist and then you can go back and rewatch and see where maybe there were hints dropped or, you know, how all the pieces fit in. You know, I think of movies um, like Saul, the original Saul was one like that, right? Like the twist in that I think is phenomenal. Gimmicky, yeah. And it led to kind of, that was the thing with all of them. Like what's the big twist of that film? Um, you know, I think about Get Out. That was a really good twist, I think, um, that we didn't necessarily see coming. Um, what was the other one I was just thinking of? Um, Parasite's a more recent one, right? Like seeing yeah. how that was, that was a shocking twist halfway through the movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> we got it very early and it just changed everything. Um, and then like a beautiful mind. I don't know that we could say that's a big twist, but um, that's another one that I enjoyed. I mean, um, I look at one like the sixth sense and, you know, basically I saw that movie and unfortunately a fair amount of people saw that movie knowing the twist in mind just because mm -hmm. of, you know, like, you know, general culture. And, you know, that is just a brilliant one constructed. And I don't know if that's from the screenplay or if that's from uh, uh, our man Shyamalan, but um, the way it's placed and the way there's like the 10 million hints, but they are just close enough to be legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Was that one I think is more how it's filmed and yeah, I think so too. I'm sure like parts of the screenplay uh, are dictating exactly like what, you know, obviously what's being said and what's being done and uh, blocking and stuff like that. But I don't know. Um, but the other side of like what I like when it comes to a good screenplay is I love deep emotional dramas. Like I'm a sucker for a good emotional drama. Um, a movie I watched yesterday that's coming out next year, uh, early next year that I haven't reviewed yet. I can't review it yet. Um, but was a simple film 
but it was all about the individuals uh, themselves and what they're going through due to a specific act. Um, marriage story is the closest thing I can come mm-hmm. to at this point to reference like what I'm talking about. Marriage story is not for everyone, but when you read, when you watch that movie, number one, you feel absolutely everything that those characters are feeling. Um, and that's a testament to the characters. But when you read that script afterwards, everything that they did in that film, every emotion, every outburst, every action was detailed in that script. And to me, that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. And that's, you know, the more I watch my story, the more it's one of my favorite movies. Um, just because of that, it's a, it's a raw emotional drama, something that so many people go through. Uh, and I, I love seeing that on screen because the more that we can share reality and situations that more people are going through, the less people feel alone in what they're going through, um, which is, I guess, a cheesy thing to say, but at the same time, very real. Uh, and there's so many different situations where I think that could benefit uh, an individual that's going through marriage troubles, going through, you know, uh, troubles with their sexuality, going through racial issues, um, things like that. I There's something about um, marriage story, and it's the obvious scene that we're all thinking about when we think about the emotional pulse there, and it's the argument, the ultimate yeah. argument there. Yeah. And the way that's blocked, and I don't know if, if that's – I'm going to read the screenplay and see. If that's in the screenplay, then that is one of the most fascinating – because they go into one room. They follow each other into the other. They go back and forth between each other. They go towards each other. One of them starts to pace back and forth. It's these tiny things that you'll never – ever truly realize unless you're freaks like the two of us where <laughs> it's just like it's just wow that is just everything that you would do in an argument and i i can't get over just like how i remember watching that scene and like you know sam was just like oh, what they're saying to each other and i was just like yes and the blocking <laughs> <laughs> and and yes that too <laughs> No, I'm with you. And read that script because it's really fascinating. Like the detail on oh, that. Check that one out. Oh my god, it's just you understand, or at least I understand more what like what awards shows are looking for, and what the Academy and what like the Golden Globes when they're when they're selecting the best script uh, or best you know writer or whatever because there definitely is a variety out there. Um, you know, we I think read a pretty solid script this weekend when we did the Duel of the Fates. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, read with talking TV, but I've read some other ones in preparation for uh, the Never Coming Soon podcast, and they're not all that great. Granted, <laughs> some of them are first drafts, but like, oh, yes, they are. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It is very interesting. And also, what's very interesting is some of the uh, films that have been delayed because of COVID. Now, uh, you know, this uh, next question comes from Mac Movie Reviews, and they're asking, what delayed films are you most looking forward to? Ready? A Quiet Place 2. Go. Mortal Kombat. Spiral, Book of Saw. In the Heights. Disney Pixar Luca. James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Halloween Kills. Marvel's Eternals and The Matrix 4. And Dune. I didn't put Dune in there, but Dune. <laughs> the end. How about you? So with me, um, I chose one. Uh, <laughs> but I just put one other. 
I actually put one other one in there because this is going to be a really interesting one because in the Heights, I I mean, let's let's just face it. I adored the play. I absolutely loved the show. And so I cannot wait for this. And this is John Chu. This is Crazy Rich Asians. He's coming in there. It's going to be great. I have one little concern about in the Heights, and it's a weird concern. And it's almost like it's a positive concern. It's This was going to come out this summer before the election. Does it hold as much weight now that that uh, you know, orange man's out of there? And this is like kind of one of the things that I find interesting with this. And I'm thinking like, you know, because like uh, In the Heights was going to talk about, you know, kicking out the Dreamers was in the trailer. Um, and it was going to be like, you know, mm. prescient to the political time. And I'm not saying that because Biden got elected, racism is gone. But I'm thinking like there, there, it just feels like it's sort of when I when I when they move, move that one back, I said to myself, I was like, oh no, just for like a brief. Oh, and then when Biden won, like if if Trump won, like you know, in the Heights would be doing great, like you know. So we, I don't know, maybe I should have voted differently. But um, I I look at this and I just I'm, <laughs> I'm so good, but <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but this is just one thing where I'm sorry. Ah. <laughs> uh, Okay. That was, uh, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that look derailed me because I probably should have gotten derailed. Um, but that was one of my main issues that I had um, when uh, talking about um, In the Heights. This might still be an amazing movie and it might still be just as enjoyable and it may not be matter the weight that's held. But that was one thing that sort of like kept with me for a little bit. What do you think about that before I do the one I'm actually looking forward to? I think that's it's definitely an interesting take. I'm thinking about it being a snapshot in time where, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully uh, to me, all they have to do is like add the year in there, right? Like 2015 or 2016 <laughs> or I'm not, no, not that yeah. early, uh, 2017 or something. Um, yeah. But the, the other thing about that is, you know, DACA is a temporary thing in a way. Like there, there's okay. still people going through the process. Um, so I think that it's still relevant. I do agree. Like it loses some of its gravitas, but, um, you know, it's, it it depends on what, what they do to, to tell a story of a snapshot in time. I'm still very excited. And I still watch that trailer once every week, I think. (laughs) (laughs) I just get so excited. Um, and, uh, the other one, the one I'm really looking forward to, and this is because I'm very curious about this. And I was curious about this one. It was going to come out in December is Dune. And, uh, you know, because Denis Villeneuve rules. Denis Villeneuve is an awesome director and did a huge sci-fi epic already in Blade Runner 2049. He's about to take on something that is beloved by people and has been tried before and has been, you know, uh, from from most people's standpoint, has failed. And, And I am just so fascinated to see if he could actually do this. Um, you know, it's what, like, you know, two gigantic books and he's only focusing on like the first page or like, so it's just like, (laughs) it's like something where he's really, really just keeping it, you know, he's going to keep it cohesive, which is the very smart move. Uh, no words yet on sequels or anything. Um, this is a tough world to grab from what I've heard. I'm speaking Mm -hmm. out of my depth because I don't really know the book. I meant to like, you know, read the book, but I meant to pump the book into my ears. Um, but I just didn't really like, you know, have the time because of all the podcasts I listened to, but I really am curious to see if he can pull it off. Cause right now people's expectations are very high. Mine are too. All right. And people are like, Oh, this is going to be the greatest film of all time. I'm like, wait till you see it, everybody. 
We don't know. Let's keep it like let's keep it uh, you know somewhat legitimate. That's still the, my most fat like because of my curiosity in general. I'm also curious to see what will happen. Will people go to theaters? Will people watch it at home? Will they show those stats? That would be one of the most interesting things in the world. Like uh, that because that's the like that I think might be the first one. Well, you know, in, in the heights in the summer, so that may, hopefully that could be the theater movie. Um, we'll see, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to those two basically. Yeah, I think Dune's a good choice uh, because that's definitely something that people have been waiting for is for that to be done justice. Uh, so hopefully that happens. I know that we're waiting a lot for it um, and it keeps getting bumped around, but uh, hopefully I, I want to see it in theaters. So hopefully that happens. Um, we I just mentioned actually Judas and the Black Messiah a little while ago and Warner Brothers just finally scheduled it. Uh, it's coming out uh, on February 12th, 2021. Uh, so not long in theaters and HBO Max. So Oscar season, baby. That's Oscar season. Yeah. Like they're you know season. for for twenty twenty. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh. Every every day is Oscar season in twenty twenty. Um, all right. So this one, this is difficult. This question from our Very friend up difficult. north, Anki, the casual moviegoer. Um, this is a bitch ass question. Um, but you get to start, so go for it. Um, Sean, pitch your best Christmas movie idea. Uh, Keith, I hope you have a lovely Christmas. I hate you. Uh, so, best Christmas movie idea. Um, so, with all the other uh, these all, all the other uh, types of questions here, I was able to at least look them up and like pick some from a list or do this or do that or think about this. This is the first one where I just stared at my computer screen for a while and you know was terrified. And then, as I stared at my computer screen, inspiration struck. And I thought about, you know, the great horror movie that came out this year, um, Host, and how that was a uh, pandemic-themed movie. We are going to get 7,000 pandemic-themed Christmas movies. I don't want just a pandemic-themed Christmas movie. That is going to be terrible. But if they can try to capture on Zoom the pandemic Christmas, and it's not a horror movie, but if they can get genuine legitimate emotion they could have people go to the certain sides do the breakout rooms do the various things don't make it too cliched for the pandemic i'm telling you that won't work as well host had this perfect line of like you know hey we're a horror movie on zoom we're talking about covid here we're talking about covid there but we are keeping with the theme do this with christmas as well walk that extremely fine line it could be something that is actually very beautiful to see I have a feeling that that it's going to be attempted and it's going to absolutely fail. But like you know, I just see I, I, if it could walk the fine line, it could work. I am on board for that because I very much enjoyed host, <laughs> and there I think that would be really solid. And it's kind of funny because my answer to this question is somewhat similar in that I want to see not a horror movie, but I want to see more of that marriage story type realism in just a family celebrating Christmas Eve and Christmas. And, but one of those families that, you know, maybe, maybe it's a new couple, right. Or uh, it's like the first year engaged and you got to go to, you know, this side of the family and then this side of the family and you got to jump different places and you're navigating the familiar relationships and the drama and, you know, dad's getting drunk and you maybe have too much to drink and you know <laughs> you lose your gift and stuff like that i just think focusing in on that i don't want to say documentary but more of that emotional drama that i was talking yeah. about earlier could be really interesting 
Um, of course, I want to see a diverse representation in there, like, you know, kind of le not as um, intentional as Happiest Season, but like, you know, for me, I would love to see some realism in there and, and identify with characters. So, you know, like a gay man bringing home his fiance for the first time and, um, you know, uh, a mixed couple in the family and... Um, if it's a primarily white or even like, you know, vice versa, not a get out version of, uh, you know, a holiday experience, but um, just that type of realistic 2020 uh, family. I think that would be fun. I don't know. Maybe it sounds lovely. Now, now sounds I just thought of another one. <laughs> it sounds lovely. Now it just makes me think of another one where it's just, you know, they're going in between the two families. Um, like, you know, they're driving from one place to the other, two families. The entire movie takes place just in the car. In the car. The two of them <laughs> arguing. <laughs> see, see, that's the kind of bullshit that I would watch. <laughs> that's It'll fantastic because it examines the inner people. <laughs> It'll be called In the Car. <laughs> in the Car. In the oh car. boy, that um, sounds wonderful. Um, I think I'm up, right? You are. Oh up. yeah, I think I'm up. For so um, you know, I, I, I just want to. This is our final question. And once again, you know, these questions were great, but probably the best question on here because it was just extremely mature and uh, very well developed, and just like a, an all around great question to have uh, was from the basic cinephile. Was that first question? So props to the basic cinephile. Oh wait, she has another question at the end. Let's see what this question is. Just remember, basic cinephile had a great question at the beginning. Um, <clears throat> which Marvel superhero do you most want to see in a thong? Oh, is it my turn? Okay, here we go. So first and foremost, Chris <laughs> Evans. <laughs> Chris Evans would be the first choice uh, for my gay self. Um, Chris Evans would be the first choice, but we already saw him kind of naked in uh, What's Your Number with Anna Faris, and we already saw a leaked image of what he's working with down there on Twitter. So that kind of takes the you know mystery out of all of it. Um, Richard Madden, who is uh, starring in the upcoming Eternals, uh, is another one that I would love. That would be a fantastic, uh, you know, viewing experience. He also was in uh, Rocket Man uh, with Taron Egerton, and he also was in that show Bodyguard, um, the Bodyguard on Netflix, which I'm still waiting for a season two. You better deliver that soon because that was a great six episode series. Uh, but absolutely, 100%, without a doubt, Sebastian Stan. Sebastian oh, Stan a is a stud. And he also played uh, my first experience. My first experience with Sebastian Stan was in uh, a show called Kings on uh, NBC many, many years ago about a modern day monarchy in what is sim like New York, essentially. But it's America. It's a modern day monarchy. He was like the gay son of the king that was out kind of like gallivanting and was, you know, a disappointment because of all that. Um, but I just remember really enjoying his acting in that um, and seeing where he has uh, has come as an actor now, I think is just really cool to see. Um, and also again, he's a stud and yes, that is my answer. Final answer. <laughs> How about you? Just, oh, this is just great. Cause you know, like, what, like come on. Um, I'm trying to think of uh, if, if only there was a uh, way to just, you know, think about all the female Marvel to, if, to line up all the female Marvel. Like if there was a shitty scene in Endgame where they just lined up. Um, <laughs> um, oh, God, I see. 
I don't know. I, this is like a, you know, I'm walking on eggshells. Uh, I can't really. <laughs> Did you just sing walking on eggshells to the uh, song walking in Memphis? <laughs> that's a, that's a bit that Sam and I have. <laughs> well done. Well done. So I, 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 I okay, I guess I'll just go with uh, uh, this. I feel uncomfortable because I feel like I'm objectifying women and I don't feel this way. Um, so because of her talent, um, I will go with uh, Brie Larson. I think, um, uh, you know, she she hides herself a bit as Captain Marvel. So I'd like her to show. I hate this. I hate this. Basic oh, cinephile. Let's, let's say this to start with, because I think Ziana would agree with us. Of course, like we're not about objectifying anyone. The question we're is not. about yeah. who you would want to see, you know, essentially naked in a thong. Um, and Ziana <laughs> asked this, but she brought it on herself and has pushed us to this level. Um, but yeah, we're not about objectification, but we it's do have really great. That, we do have attractions. <laughs> this is great because you know it's a podcast, and you don't see how beat red I am, and just kind of like you know, or no, I'm actually still wearing the gold face from the uh, script reading. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I actually have an attraction to Brie Larson, so I would, I would, I would pick her in general. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, or Thanos. Okay. Okay. I'm into that. Thanos, this is how it ended too. Fun. This is how the this is how the Christmas mailbag ended. And you you organized these questions. Purposefully. I did this purposefully. Um, <laughs> maybe <laughs> listen, if anyone from Funko is listening, uh, we would like a Funko pop of Thanos in a, fo- a thong. <laughs> oh, that is one hundred percent already on the internet. <laughs> I'm certain that's on the internet. Um, this is a complete side note, but I am seeing that Gemma Chan, who I most recently watched in uh, uh, Let Them All Talk, it, who I loved in that movie, by the way. I thought she was really good, uh, is going to be in Eternals. I completely missed that connection. Um, is she not? She's Cersei. Really? Yeah, she's Cersei in Eternals. Uh, so that is pretty solid. Uh, yeah. Well, Sean, this has been delightful. Not only has this been delightful, but these past episodes have been delightful. And I just want to thank you because it's Christmas. Thank you for bringing me on, Joe. This has been an absolute blast for me. This is the gift that keeps on giving every Tuesday evening when we're recording <laughs> and every Wednesday morning when they're released on anywhere you get your podcast. Um, no, it's been a lot of fun and we're we're not done yet for this year. Uh, this is coming out Friday, Christmas Day. So Merry Christmas to everyone. Happy holidays to all who celebrate. Uh, and we will be uh, releasing an episode next week as well that will kind of be our year-end wrap-up before we bid farewell to this shitty fucking year. <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. See you later.